I might get you to help me preach today if that, that'll be okay. Have you ever been around someone who is just a mess? Come on now, help me out. Have you ever been around someone who's just a mess? Are you sitting next to someone that you would say, come on now, we don't want some, uh, y'all doing any confessing about that this morning. But I can look around the world and I see a bunch of people in mess. A mess in how they think, a mess in how they act, a mess in how, what they talk about. I mean, when you see someone who is so addicted to drugs that they will sell their children or ignore their kids just to fulfill that addicted habit, habit that is someone in a mess. Someone who lives a life to tear other people down just so they can build themselves up. Can I tell you something? That person is a mess. The one who feels like they have to be right in everything to prove that they are the number one person who knows it all. That person is in a mess. The one who feels that life is useless Worthless, and there's no need to go on. That person is in a mess. The one who feels like the only way for escape is murder. That person is in a mess. What about the one who, who really and truly says that Jesus Christ is their Lord and Savior, but yet they live only for themselves? That person is in a mess. Jesus encountered people in a mess. Maybe you know somebody in your life. You don't have to call their name out. You can think of someone that you would say, that person's messed up. If you know someone right now, would you just raise your hand? You don't have to say it's your wife, okay? You don't have to say it's your husband. You just know somebody who's really messed up. You know what? We just lifted that name up to the Lord. That's, that person is who this sermon is about today, and it's for you. There are addictions, there are habits, there are things with our mouth that will reveal the condition of our heart. But can I tell you today that a stronghold is a mindset that simply accepts the situation as unchangeable even if it is contrary to the Word of God, even if it's contrary to the will of God. A stronghold says, I can't escape, this is just who I am. I am here today to declare to you, you can be set free as well as the person that you know of that's in a mess. We have an enemy. His name is Satan. And he is uh, roaming around seeking who he can devour. He wants to destroy and to kill anything that has to do with God. He wants to thwart it. So the question today is, when you want someone to be set free, when you want someone to experience the freeing power of Christ, when you see someone and you know if they would only have Jesus and their life would be turned around, wow, how great that would be. But you sit here and you go, I don't know what to do. I've tried praying for them, that God would save them. I've tried talking to them, but I just don't know what else to do. Well, I want to encourage you today that there's something in the Word of God that we're going to look at in Mark chapter 5. Mark chapter 5 today is where we are. So we're going to look at that question and see how can we help people who are in a mess who needs to be set free. Mark chapter 5. 
What's been going on is Jesus was teaching for an entire day and he got weary. And in the evening he told his disciples and said, let's get in the boat and let's go to the other side. If you were here last week, you know what happened while they were going to the other side. A great storm came up and it it was like it was going to sink the ship. It was a very dangerous storm. As a matter of fact, we were looking at the biblical evidence that that storm wasn't just any storm, but it was demonically inspired. It was from the devil himself because we were beginning to understand everything that went on in chapter 3, chapter 4, and chapter 5 all pointed to the fact that the devil was at work. And can I tell you something, ladies and gentlemen? I want you to know I'm going into this sermon with an assumption. The devil is real, demons are real, and they're still active. Demons are still roaming this earth, and they're still encountering and getting inside of people and causing problems because we have an enemy that wants to derail what God wants to do. So we're going into this with the assumption that this isn't archaic and some myth, but what Jesus experienced, what the disciples experienced, we can experience today. So this storm was demonically inspired. And we find in chapter 5, verse 1, these words. It begins with, they came to the other side. Can I tell you something glorious? When you get through the storm that the devil has caused, you get to the other side. And that is a beautiful place to be. The sun's coming out. It looks like it's a beautiful day. And sometimes what we want to do is just take a break and relax and go, man, that that was a ride. But we see here, Jesus promises in verse 35, let's go to the other side. Chapter 5, verse 1, it says, They came to the other side of the sea, in the country of the Gerasenes. When he got out of the boat, immediately, not in two hours, not after they set up camp, not after they went into the town, not after they they kind of spied out what was going on, it says, as soon as they got out of the boat... As soon as he got out of the boat. Who's the he? Jesus. As soon as Jesus gets out of the boat, look what happens. Immediately, a man from the tombs. What are the tombs? It's a graveyard. How many of you have ever seen a graveyard? How many of you have ever seen a spooky graveyard? How many of you would just love to go out to a graveyard at night? You know, that that is just, yeah. uh, Okay, we'll have counseling after the service today because that's just weird. I just want you to know. It's peace. Well, <laughs> rest in peace. I guess they're peaceful, you know. <laughs> but here, as soon as Jesus gets out of the boat, immediately a man from the tombs, the graveyard, comes running to him. I don't know about you, but if I'd been one of the disciples, my first question would have been, Troy, why are we getting out of the boat here? Uh, Jesus, could we not have disembarked just right down the street? I mean, that's a grassy meadow over there. That looks good. I mean, it's close to the town. Why can't we get out over there and not over here with all these dead people? I see dead people. Some of you got that, didn't you? (laughs) But you know what? Jesus did see someone who was dead. Dead in their soul. Immediately, as soon as they get out of the boat, here comes this man out of the tombs. Now, what is going on with this man? Well, I want to sum it up like this. The man, simply this. The man was a mess. Can you say that with me? The man was a mess. Because let's look and see what's going on here. Immediately, a man from the tombs 
with an unclean spirit met him. Now, let me share with you that when the Jews came to a graveyard, you know what they considered that? Unclean. The tombs were unclean, and they met a man with an unclean spirit inside of him. So I hope you understand, youth, as we've been talking about this whole studying the the Word of God and getting things out of it, here's a repetition of unclean that's coming up. This is a man who is a mess. He has an unclean spirit dwelling in an unclean place. And can I also tell you and remind you from last week that Jesus had been doing His ministry on the Jewish side of the sea. Everything he had been doing up to this point was with Jews. Jewish people who understood what it was was like to stay pure, to stay righteous. There was this mindset in thinking. And you know what they thought? We're better than the people on the other side of the sea. They're unclean. They're heathens. They're not like us. They're different. So we're going to stay over here. And Jesus tells his disciples, let's get in the boat and go over there. This is why the devil tried to stop what was about to happen. Because what we see happen in chapter 5 is incredible. So so hang on with me here. Because Jesus, when he gets over there, here comes this man who is unclean. It's a Gentile place. The first time Jesus has come across to the Gentile place after he has began his ministry, here he is in this Gentile place, Gentile world. This is a place where they did not really believe in the Hebrew God. They didn't think the Hebrews had it right. They thought the Hebrews had it wrong. They were not looking for a Messiah. Most of them worshipped several gods. Most of them looked down upon the Jews, and the Jews looked down upon them. It was mutual. They just didn't like each other. They didn't associate because if as a Jew, if you associate with a Gentile, you know what you become? Unclean. So here is an unclean Gentile man with an unclean spirit in the unclean tombs. Do you get my point here? This man was in a mess. It was an unclean situation. And he had his dwelling among the tombs. Are you telling me he wasn't just visiting the graveyard? He was living there. Maybe you know somebody who seems to be living in the tombs right now. They're living in a place where it just seems like it is such a mess and they will not leave. They are living among the tombs, among the dead. They don't seem to get it. They don't seem to feel the the, the presence of God. They're in a mess. This man was living among the tombs. And no one... Listen to this, how big of a mess he was in. And no one was able... To bind him anymore, even with a chain. So what is this telling us? It's telling us that people tried to chain him up and bind him. Why would they do that? Because he had often been bound with shackles and chains. They had put him under shackles and chains. Why did they do that? Because this man was a mess. Listen. Read on with me in in verse 4. And the chains had been torn apart by him and the shackles broken in pieces. You want to talk about a strong man? This man was strong. In fact, I would venture to say he was a little more supernaturally strong because of what we're about to find out that was dwelling inside of him that was causing the mess. And no one was strong enough to subdue him. So where was he left to live? Among the tombs. He was a man that they could not control. And can I tell you, he could not control himself. 
He was a mess. Verse 5. Constantly, night and day, he was, what's your translation say? Screaming. Screaming. Can you imagine? Can you imagine, Michael, walking by the graveyard and hearing, Yeah, I'm not going in there. (laughs) Michael, you're a nut. (laughs) It would be like a horror... I imagine there were chills that went over people because they had seen this man breaking chains and ripping shackles off, not with keys, but just breaking stuff in this strong man. And here he was in this graveyard screaming and yelling. And I guarantee you the kids weren't going, hey, let's go up there in the tombs and yell. Let's not do that. Let's stay away from that place. This man was a mess constantly night, constantly night and day. He was screaming. Why do you think he was screaming? Because he was in a mess. He was screaming among the tombs and the mountains and gashing himself with stones. You know what that means? He was in so much turmoil, he was cutting himself. Today in this world, we have teenagers and adults who cut themselves because they're in so much pain. And we look at them and we go, ooh, what's wrong with them? Are they messed up? Are they demon-possessed? Can I tell you that a person can cut themselves and not be demon-possessed? But what that is a sign of is they're in pain. And they are in a mess. So here is this man who is approaching Jesus. And this man, he was a mess. But oh... Here comes the good news. Immediately as Jesus gets out of the boat, what happens? Does he see the man from a distance? Does he spot the guy and go, hmm, I think we need to go up there and talk to him. That's the whole reason we came over to this side. Boys, Is we need to go talk to him. He's up there in the tombs. What does it say? Look in chapter 5, verse 2. When he got out of the boat, immediately a man, what did he do? The man came running to Jesus. Now was this man... Rushing to attack Jesus? Let's see. Let's see. Let's see what happens. Verse 6. Seeing Jesus, seeing Jesus from a distance, he ran up and bowed down before him. Ladies and gentlemen, let me tell you something. It doesn't matter how big of a mess a person can be in when they encounter Jesus and Jesus is in their presence, they will bow down because they're in the presence of a holy God. No matter what's got a hold of them, no matter the pain or the, or the hurt, Jesus can fulfill whatever it is that they're missing. So here is this man who is in a mess. He comes. He sees Jesus. comes running up and bows down before him. Verse 7. And shouting with a loud voice, he said, What business do we have with each other, Jesus? Son of the Most High God. He yells this. He doesn't just speak it. The Word of God is active and alive. When you read it, don't read it like you're reading it monotone in a dictionary. Read it with action. This man's yelling and screaming this because what was causing a mess in his life was coming out of his mouth. What 
do we have? Son of God, the Son of the Most High God. What was going on recognized who he was. That's a key thing that's going on here. Shouting with a loud voice, he said, What business do we have with each other, Jesus, Son of the Most High? I implore you by God, do not torment me. Ladies and gentlemen, don't miss the fact this man was already tormented. Tormented to the point he was cutting himself, he was screaming, he was living among the tombs. He could not, and, and in one, one commentary, one place, you can find, and later on we'll find that the man was clothed, which means that you know what he is? He's naked, or naked, however you want to say it. He has ripped his clothes off, he is living like an animal among these tombs. And then here, out of his mouth comes, do not Torment me. Hmm. I hope that makes you go, huh? Because when we, we examine Scripture, we begin to see things deeper. Now, I want to talk about the Savior for a second. Because we've talked about the man. The man was a mess. The man's come up to Jesus. This conversation is going on. Now let's talk about the Savior, Jesus, who's right there. Let's look in verse 8. For he had been saying to him, who's the he? The pronoun, Jesus. Jesus is the he. So, because Jesus had been saying to that man while he was running up to him. Listen, Jesus was saying, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And when he gets up there, the conversation isn't between the man and Jesus. It's the unclean spirit that's deep inside of him and Jesus. Do you see this? This man is not just casually having a conversation with Jesus. It is the unclean spirit inside of him, the demon. Now, some of you may be skeptics and you may be going, Oh, demon possession. That's not real today. That doesn't happen. Ladies and gentlemen, I have seen people demon possessed, And I've looked them directly in their eye. Lots of times, the devil will shroud and cover up his presence and make it look good. You never know how you may be at the store standing right next to someone who's demon-possessed. You know, whenever we tout and say, oh, the devil had a hold of them, is when someone commits murder, abandons their family, we go, well, that's just, that's just pure evil. They are com committing genocide in another country and you're going, that's just pure evil. They have to be demon-possessed. Can I tell you, there may be one right next to you in the restaurant today. Let's not miss the fact that it's real. And the thing they want to do is to make you think it's not. I'll never forget the time that my wife felt that there was a presence in a room. And it was during a revival at a church. And we came out and we went into a room and we prayed. And, and I didn't feel anything, you know. And I, I'm thinking, wow, my wife is feeling something. I don't feel nothing. But you know what? I'm not going to dismiss it. Our wives are usually right. <laughs> Amen. They have higher discernment than we men usually. And so we are praying. And she's saying, there's, there's, there's something going on here. There's something wrong. And we prayed, God, remove it from the room or let it submit to you. Pull them out. Don't let it be a hindrance to what you're doing in that room. I walked out of the room, took a left, walked down the hall, and there sits a man in the foyer. 
And I walked up and I started talking to him. He wouldn't look me in the eye. And he said, I could not stay in the room. I could not stay in the room. And as I began to question him, he told me his name. Some of you may remember me telling this before, but his last name was spelled D-E-M-O-N was the first part of his last name he told me. You can't tell me they're not real. Been in the presence one time when a girl's teeth was, was moving back and forth and spaces were showing in her teeth. You can't tell me demons aren't real. Doctors can't explain that. That's not some kind of health issue. It's demon possession. The devil wants you th to think it's not real. It's nothing to worry about. Here is, here is this moment when the Savior is there before this man who is a mess. And Jesus saw what others could not or would not see. For when he looked at that man, when he looked and saw that man, he began to say, come out of him, you unclean spirit. You know what everybody else saw? Let's just be real and be honest. We saw a man that was a problem. He was disrupting my way of life. He was scaring my children. He's a problem. He don't believe like us, don't look like us, don't act like us, don't talk like us. That man is messed up. He's, he's crazy. And we need to get rid of him. But what did Jesus see? He saw a man with value through the eyes of love. He saw what nobody else could see. There's an unclean spirit in that man. And he began to cry out, Come out of that man, you unclean spirit. Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. Let's keep reading verse 9. And he was asking him, What is your name? He's not talking to the man, remember? Because look here, here's more evidence. And he said to Jesus, My name is Legion, for we are many. A legion usually meant three to six thousand. Three to six thousand. Verse 10, And he began to implore him earnestly not to send them out of the country. In other words, they were imploring Jesus, Don't send us out of this place. But look, because they knew. Let me give you some hope for a second. Even though the mess that somebody might be in seems to be impossible, when encountered with a holy and living God named Jesus Christ, even the mess realizes they're no match. They will either flee or they will submit. These demons at this moment said, yeah, we know what's coming. You want to know why? Because Jesus had done it before. So they said, send us into the swine. And that's exactly what Jesus did. Now remember, unclean man, because he's a Gentile, in unclean tombs with an unclean spirit, and the, the demons want to go into what? An unclean animal, according to the Jews. It's very interesting that the disciples say nothing in this entire story. Mark records them saying nothing. Because probably they're, they're standing back going, that guy's just too far gone. What, what are we doing over here? 
So Jesus sends them into the pigs and the swine. In other words, the demons equated the unclean animal with the man that they were in. Same difference. No value whatsoever. Can I tell you something? You have value, but the devil makes you, wants to make you think you don't. That there's nothing you can do about it. I got news for you. There's something you can do about it, and that is Jesus. Somebody say Jesus. Jesus. So verse 13, Jesus gave them permission, and coming out, the unclean spirits entered the swine, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the sea, about 2,000 of them, and they were drowned in the sea. So the question becomes, what happened to the demons? Did the demons survive that? Did they go and live in something else? Or did they die? We don't know. I can't answer that for you, but I can tell you this. They didn't want to be cast into the outer darkness. That's what they, they were talking about. There. Don't cast us into the outer darkness. They still wanted to do their work. Why do they possess humans? To thwart the will of God. That's why they possess people. But keep in mind, a very important point here is during this time, the Holy Spirit did not come and dwell within people quite yet until Jesus Christ died on the cross and rose from the dead. And once we become connected to God, the Holy Spirit comes and lives inside of us. There ain't no room for a demon when the Holy Spirit's in there. The demons cannot stand to be around the Holy Spirit. So during this time... The Holy Spirit was very selective on, on who he was on, and he was on Jesus, and Jesus could see something. So the same Holy Spirit that helped Jesus see this man's need as a big of a mess he was in can help you see other people's need who are in a mess. Because, see, Jesus could see what no one else could see, but Jesus also did what no one else could or would do. Jesus was different. So if we're going to be more like Jesus, we've got to lean into this a little bit. And dwell on this idea for a moment that when we encounter messy people, people that we think they're, they're just too far gone, that they're too messy, there's no need for us to, to go any farther. We have to lean into this idea of how do I be more like Jesus in this situation? Has somebody messed up enough that they're hopeless for Jesus to change them? That's the question. And here, Jesus did what no one else could do. He actually cast out the unclean spirits, and then there was a complete change that took place. See, Jesus knew that there was an unclean spirit in verse 9, asking him what is his name, commanding him to come out. Verse 18, as he was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed was imploring him that he might accompany him. See, the man begins to, begins to talk to Jesus. He has, he has been made right because he's encountered Christ. Here's what I want you to hold on to today. Here's the main thing. To be more like Jesus, look beyond. Look beyond the mess and see the spiritual need. When you see people that you go, ooh, nasty, gross, that is not from Jesus Christ. I'm just going to bluntly put it out there. I'm going to step on your toes. I might sit in your lap. I don't know how you want to call it. But when you look at people and you go, ooh, gross, nasty, grody, stay away from me, that is not from Jesus Jesus would look at those kind of people and go, I love you. There is hope for you. Because Jesus did not simply look on the outside. Everybody else saw this man from the outside, but Jesus saw him from the inside. We have to look at people 
and see their spiritual need. And it's hard to look over the outward mess, isn't it? The outward mess of people, you know what it does? Here's the word. It makes us uncomfortable. Someone who has served 30 years in prison and they're standing before you and they've got tattoos all over you. Let me tell you something. I sat in a room at a hospital speaking to a guy who had grown up since his teenage years in prison wanting to do some crime so he could go back. That was the only thing he knew. He had a swastika tattooed on his neck. He had teardrops on his eyes. He had tattoos everywhere. I want you to know I was, there's the word, uncomfortable talking to this guy. But you know what I did? I talked to him anyway. I asked him some questions, tried to tell him about Jesus, and I discovered real quickly he wasn't interested. All he wanted to do was confess all the things he had done, hope that that would be okay, and, te- and, and just kind of make it clear he needed to get back in prison because he didn't know how to live free. But I was uncomfortable. I want you to think for a second. What makes you uncomfortable? What kind of person makes you uncomfortable to be around? That person you're thinking about, Jesus wants you to be the conduit of God into their life. He wants you to be a conduit of Him into everyone's life. To be more like Jesus, we have to see people's spiritual need more than we see the mess that they have caused and who they are. It's got to be motivated by love. In John chapter 4, Jesus is going from... from, um, He's going from Jerusalem in that area, going back up into Galilee in that area, and he has to go through, purposely, he goes through a place called Samaria. And he sits down on a well, because it says in John chapter 4, Jesus was weary. He was fully, fully man. He got tired. The disciples have gone off to town to buy some food. And along comes a woman. You know what she was? She was alone. An outcast. She came when nobody else was around because, come to find out, she was a mess. She had had several husbands and was living with someone who wasn't even her husband at the time. And Jesus called her out on it and said, hey, the man you're living with now is not your husband. But you know what Jesus did not do? Jesus did not go, ew, gross, yuck, how terrible of you. Jesus saw this woman had a need for the water of life where she had never thirst again. He did not try to change her actions until he was changing her heart. See, this demon-possessed man was changed from the inside out. We have to stop trying to change people from the outside and not deal with the inside. Because we'll do all kinds of stuff, won't we, on the outside for people, but we... If I really wanted to right now, I could ask how many people have witnessed to someone this last week and told them about Jesus. And if I did that, many of you right now going, please don't ask us to raise our hand because you wouldn't be able to put it up. Our problem is, is we've gotten so complacent with this idea that we're okay and we're going to heaven that we lose sight of the fact there's people around us. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few and they're dying, going to hell. You know what's exciting? To hear some of the stories coming out of our Wednesday night class. Of how they're stepping up and being bold and having conversations. And God is doing something and it gets them excited. Let me tell you something. We have the hope of the world. 
We have to stop praying that people will be set free from drugs and just simply pray that they'll become addicted to Jesus Christ. We need to, we need to focus on the inward change that Jesus can bring rather than seeing people change on the outside so we'll like them better. This is what Jesus is getting at here. We have to stop praying that people will stop being so promiscuous in their life and find their greatest intimacy with Jesus Christ. We have to stop praying that the abuse of others will stop and begin to pray that they will serve Christ with a passion and a zeal. We have to stop praying for the drama that people will abandon the drama and that they'll cling to the hope of Jesus Christ. There's a difference when you begin to pray for an inward change versus the outward actions in someone's life. This is what Jesus did. You want to be more like Jesus? Stop focusing on the outside of people. Start focusing on the inside of them. You'll begin to see things happen. On this board behind me are people who are lost. You know what they need? They need Jesus. They don't need to stop their addictions change their behavior. Sure, that needs to happen, but they need Jesus. How many times have you heard a testimony from someone where Jesus radically changed their life? That, my friend, if you want to be more like Christ, look at the inward need of people spiritually more than their outward actions and the mess that they're in. Maybe today you're one of those people who are in a mess. You go, I, I don't get it. I am in such a mess, I can't see any of this. Can I tell you, Jesus wants to set you free just like He did this man here. Because see, God wants to do something more beautiful in our lives than just simply give us victory over sin. He wants to replace that bondage in our life and that mess with something that is more beautiful that is more hopeful, filled with more value and fruitfulness in our life. And that is a relationship with Christ. You want to know how to change people who are in a mess? Stop preaching at them and offer them the gift of Jesus. We have found out on Wednesday night it takes 7.8 times before someone will actually make a decision for Christ. 7.8 times that they're hearing the gospel. And we heard a testimony this last Wednesday night on the video of a man who would make fun of those people who would talk about Jesus to him. But yet he said he never forgot their name. He never forgot the message. Just because they are responding in an ugly way on the outside doesn't mean you're not penetrating their heart with the truth. Because I got news for you. This right here, this right here stands on its own. It doesn't have to have my approval or someone else's approval. It says that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. All of us are in a mess when it comes to sin. And the wages of sin is death according to Romans chapter 6. The wages of sin is death. But thanks be unto God, according to Romans 5, that even while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Because Nicodemus came to him wondering about this situation. And Jesus said, you must be born again. What do you mean, Jesus? How can a person enter a second time into their mother's womb? Unless a person is born of the water, born fleshly, born naturally, alive, and born of the Spirit... He'll never enter into the kingdom of God. Born from the inside out. The whole message of the gospel isn't for us to act better, but to 
be better by an inward change that happens through the Holy Spirit. That's what this is about. And so Jesus goes on to say later in the book of John, no one comes to me unless the Father draws him. And that means it's not your logic. It's not you having all the right answers. That's going to determine the success of what you do in someone's life who's a mess. What measures the success is your obedience. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. You be obedient and you let the Holy Spirit change lives. Because later in Romans, in chapter 10, you'll find that if you'll confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. There's the beauty of it. You don't have to dress up, fix up, change your actions, get unaddicted from whatever's going on in your life. It just simply says to confess with your mouth and believe in your heart. Ask God for forgiveness and ask Him to take over your life. And you can be set free. And so can the people in your life who are a mess. We have to focus on the inward change. So what must I do? What must I do with this message, with what has happened here in Mark chapter 5? How do I put this into action? <laughs> you ready for this? Get ready. Prepare yourself. Get ready to be God's conduit. Get ready to be God's conduit to someone in a mess. Get ready. That means prepare yourself. There's a whole stack of Bibles up here that look very similar to this one right here. And it says, find it here. In this Bible, there are verses underlined already in this scripture that will tell you where to even go next. If you just go to Romans chapter 3, verse 23, it's underlined and then it tells you where to go next so you can lead somebody to Christ. Ladies and gentlemen, I have to say what God just laid on my heart. The reason our country and our communities is in a mess is because we, as Christians, have kept our mouths shut about Jesus Christ changing people's lives. We've been complacent not to offend anybody. We want to be accepted by people, but yet while we're not offending them or, or we're being accepted by them, we're condemning them to an eternal hell. The problem with this world and this country isn't the devil. He's always been about the work he's been doing. The problem is that we've kept our mouth shut too long. There are people that you love. They're in a mess because they don't have Jesus. Get ready to be a conduit of God into someone's life who is a mess. So here's... This week's The Seven Day Challenge comes straight from this scripture. The challenge for you over the next seven days. I'm going to begin reading verse 17. And they began imploring him to leave, imploring Jesus, please leave this country, get out of here. The people came and found this man who was, a, who was 
in a mess, clothed and in his right mind, sitting next to Jesus. And they heard about how he cast the demons into the swine. And the swine, 2,000 of them, went and drowned themselves. And they're thinking, man, there went my bacon. There went my sausage. And they're asking Jesus, please leave. You scare us. As if that man didn't scare them. And so we read, verse 18, As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed was imploring with Jesus and saying, I want to go with you, Jesus. Let me go with you. I want to be near you. I want to follow you. And look at what Jesus said. And he did not let him. Does that make any sense whatsoever? Here is a man who's given his life to Christ. He's been changed. And he's wanting to follow Jesus. And Jesus says, no, you can't go with me. He tells him, check this out. Go home to your people and report to them what things the Lord has done for you and how he had mercy on you. You know what Jesus told this man to do? What I consider the first believer, the first follower of Christ on the Gentile side, he says, go tell people about what I've done in your life. Go tell them. And he went away. You know what the demon-possessed guy did? He had the audacity to obey Jesus. Had the audacity to do exactly what Jesus said. And he went away and began proclaiming in Decapolis what great things Jesus had done for him. And everyone was amazed. He went away and began to talk. Now the Decapolis, Deca meaning ten, Polis meaning city, like metropolis, that's where we get this from, this idea of a, city, a ten city region. He didn't just go to his house and say, hey mama, let me tell you what's going on. He went from town to town to town. He went to all ten towns going, let me tell you what Jesus did in my life. And people are looking going, dude, you used to be messed up and look at how you are now. And he said, let me tell you what made the difference. It's Jesus. Jesus made the difference. Now, here's where the power comes in. This Decapolis place, it is in that place that when Paul is on the road to Damascus, he is blinded and he's told to go to a city and there is a man who helps the Apostle Paul. Guess where he is living at? In the Decapolis. One of those ten cities somewhere. So this man... Begins a movement. Jesus returns later and there are people believing in Jesus over there. You want to know why? Because the man decided to obey Christ, open his mouth and stop keeping it shut and telling people about what Jesus had done in their life. You may say, well, I, haven't, I don't have this big, big story to tell. I wasn't addicted to drugs or, or running a brothel or, or I wasn't the one who, who got out of prison. And, and uh, you know what? You were lost. Like everybody else, and Jesus has saved your soul and you have hope, that's what you can hold on to. And that's what people need is the hope of Jesus Christ. You don't have to be bad to share Jesus. But I can tell you this. Those who come from the worst spots are the ones who are usually the most vocal about what Jesus can do. So please be careful to take this serious. There are people on this board who need Jesus. There are people in your life. So here's your seven-day challenge. Who has not heard your story? Who does not know about your story? You know what? You need to go tell them. You need to let them know your story. 
It doesn't mean that you have to sit there and walk them through the plan of salvation and walk them through the scriptures because you may not know that. And if you don't come Wednesday night, we're going to go over this a little bit more. We're going to talk about the ingredients that make up a, a true salvation experience and, and how this works. But here's the thing. Who does not know your story? Find someone and go tell them your story. How you went from death to life, how Christ saved your soul. There's your seven-day challenge. Pray with me. Father, we thank you for this word. We thank you, God, for your scriptures that make it very clear that we can be more like Jesus. We do not have to settle for second best. We do not have to settle that we can just continue to do the same things we've always done. Father, you have called us to a higher standard and you have asked each of us to go, to share, to tell. God, you could have taken the demons out immediately. You could have removed the issues in that man's life before Jesus even stepped on the dirt. Lord, there is a message here that people need to be involved in people's lives who are a mess so that they can come to know Jesus. You've chosen us to be part of that. So right now, as people across this room and online, as they are thinking of someone in their life who is in a mess, maybe they're lost, maybe they're messed up, maybe they don't know whether they know Jesus or not. Lord, pray right now your Holy Spirit will work in that person's life who is a mess to be open to the hope that the one thinking of them right now will bring to them. Pray Lord lives will be changed and revival will begin. Lord I thank you for this day. I thank you for your word. I thank you for your Holy Spirit and God for those who are listening who do not have a relationship with you. Lord, today it's been laid out and we've all sinned and messed up and the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. Through who? Through Christ Jesus. Jesus, the one that you sent to die on the cross, raised from the dead. We simply just have to ask you to forgive us, to take over our life as we receive Jesus Christ to be in charge. So Lord, anyone right now who does not know you, I pray that they make that decision and simply ask you to forgive them and take over their life. In Jesus' name.